0: Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to pray. In the name of the Father, help us to hear. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, the most watched television show in the entire week in the nation here was the Sunday night game of the NFL brought in 19 million viewers. That's pretty good. But an Argentinian sheep farmer on Twitter beat that number by 8 million viewers in just four days last spring. Maybe you saw the moment that set the internet on fire back in April. The video shows a young boy, probably about 11 or 12 years old, he is leaning over a deep but narrow drainage ditch right next to a dirt road. The trench is less than 18 inches wide, and yet somehow, a real live sheep has managed to get his entire body stuck in it, head down in the trench, so that only a single leg is sticking out. The boy is tugging and wiggling on the sheep, trying to get it free. Eventually, he finds a leather strap and he wraps it around the sheep's legs so he can have a little bit more leverage. And after several tenths seconds, the boy pulls the sheep out of the ditch and the exultant sheep leaps away, bounds away. The sheep runs about 30 feet before it leaps high into the air, higher than I ever imagined a sheep could leap. And in retrospect, The sheep should have tried for distance rather than height because right at the peak of the sheep's jump his center of gravity changes and his head pitches straight down and the sheep lands back in the ditch stuck like a cork in a bottle with only his legs sticking out to be seen No one had ever heard of Victoriano Azipuru when he shared that video. And to this day, he has fewer social media followers than even some of you. But for that one week, people around the world watched his video and shared it with others. And they all said, I can relate to that sheep. Some people said that sheep is my diet habits. Some folks said that's my sleep habits. More than a couple preachers said online that this sheep represents us when we promise the Holy Spirit that next time we'll hold our tongue and we'll never say anything so stupid again if God will just get us out of this mess. We get pulled out of some mess only to jump enthusiastically back into the ditch. Of course, I think there's a parable in that sheep too, but I am not concerned about what the sheep represents. I want us to consider that poor sheep in its own right. And I'm curious what you think about the status of the sheep. Specifically, I wonder how you would answer if I asked you, Was that sheep saved? Because the sheep was definitely rescued, he was definitely pulled out of the ditch. Was he really saved? is it really salvation to be pulled out of a ditch for 2.7 seconds that it took before he pitched himself right back into the the hole he had been pulled from? It seems like if anyone has an answer, it should be us Christians. We should know salvation when we see it. But if you spend much time around the people who call themselves Christian, you'll soon find out that there is, in fact, a lot of confusion on the subject of salvation. Some people talk about it, as though it is a moment in the future. In the early 80s, when Bob Dylan converted to Christianity, he told an interviewer, I've done about everything that I ever wanted to do. And so the reporter responded, Well, if that's true, then what are you waiting on? And Bob Dylan replied, Salvation. Just plain salvation. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're waiting on salvation. Maybe you've got all your thoughts of God focused on the future. Maybe, maybe when you've done everything you wanted to do, you think it would be nice to cap it all off by going to heaven. Take a little victory lap on a life well lived. If you believe that, if you believe that salvation is only a future event, then you can't really know if the sheep is saved. Its future is still being written. How many times is it going to jump in that ditch? I don't know what sort of ending would count as salvation for a sheep. Maybe a shepherd will save one of its fleeces and make a beautiful sweater from it and people will talk about that sheep forever. I don't really know what would be salvation for a sheep. Maybe you aren't really sure what you're waiting for. But you are sure that salvation is all about the ending and you are waiting for it. Other Christians talk about salvation as though it is not something for the future. It is more like something that happened in the past here in the South that typically gets summarized by saying people, when people talk about that moment when they got saved. Some people will say they got saved through a decision. Maybe at a confirmation service when they decided for themselves and said out loud that they believed in Jesus Christ and put their whole trust in his grace. Some people will say that they got saved, not through any intellectual decision, but for them, salvation came as an experience of the heart of God that met with them and gave them an unshakable conviction. Some people will say they got saved in a moment of deliverance when they were set free from some addiction or habit or pattern of thought that had controlled their life. And if you can't praise God... Whenever someone experiences that kind of decision or conviction or deliverance, then I don't know what to tell you. When someone who has never known Jesus, someone who never grew up in the church or who left the church decades ago comes to me and tells me that they have experienced God and they are ready to surrender to Christ, it makes me want to leap out of my chair. And on our confirmation Sundays, when I have all those Christians in front of me, when Reverend Woods and Kathy and I have sat with them and we have heard their stories and they have told us that they want to make that decision, I feel like I could jump over Mobile Bay. But if salvation is only about a moment in the past, then what can we say to the person who leaps so high that they fall face first back into the same ditch God pulled them from? When the doubts come, when the feeling fades, when the old habit returns, is it salvation to say, don't worry, God already pulled you out of that ditch back then, you are loved, the ditch does not define you, you've been saved, all will be well. Even if the sheep could understand English, I don't think those promises would make it feel very saved. I expect it would say back if it could. That was great back then, but I could use a little help here and now. And that's how Thomas felt around the dinner table with Jesus. And we can assume that he spoke for many of the disciples who were not sure what to make of Jesus as he talked to them about the future and the past. Just a few months before, they had been run out of the city of Jerusalem. The authorities there had tried to seize Jesus and kill him. And so Jesus had left town with the disciples. They had gone across the river Jordan to a safer place to preach and heal. But now it was time for the Passover feast. And just five days before... Jesus had decided to return to Jerusalem. And when he announced that decision to the disciples, when he said, we're going back, Thomas had turned to his friends, his colleagues, his fellow disciples, and he said, well, let us go to Jerusalem that we may die with him. For many of the disciples, it seemed as though the heady days of healings and exorcisms were fading into the past. And this movement they had joined was sliding toward a tragic end. And now, as Jesus shares a Last Supper with his disciples, he is talking about the future, about going to someplace they've never been. And Thomas is not sure that he will be able to get there. He asks, how can we know the way, Lord? We do not know where you are going. How can we know we are on the right path while we are waiting for salvation? And Thomas asks out of the fear that many of us know this morning. We fear uncertain futures. We fear that our best is in the past. But Jesus is fully present in the here and now with a promise that makes all the difference as he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you have placed your faith in anything you have done in the past, that faith will falter. If you are waiting for anything more than Jesus, your hope will never be satisfied. But if you will devote your life to the love of Jesus, then your past and your future and all these things will be added to the real and present assurance you can have that you were saved and you will be saved, and most miraculously of all, you are being saved right now. And that's why the crowds came to Jesus and he never said to them, here are the minimum entrance requirements for heaven. He never even said, here are the ten or the two things you must believe. No, Jesus' invitation was always the same. He said it to the fishermen and the tax collectors when he interrupted them at their workplaces. He said it to the rich young man who came and interrupted Jesus and said, Jesus, could you get to the point? Jesus preached it in the sermon that got him run out of Jerusalem those few months before. The Pharisees had picked up rocks and they had tried to kill him when Jesus had said, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow And that's the invitation Jesus gave. Over and over, it always came down to two words Follow me. That's salvation. Jesus is salvation. He is not the means to our salvation, He is not someone that we use to get what we want. He is salvation. His presence, his life, his words are everything that we were made for. He is inviting us to go where he goes and to do what he does. And in just a few verses after what we read today, Jesus will promise that those who stay near to him, who follow him, will not only do what he does, Christ says we will do even greater works than these through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is it. He is everything. The past and the future, the alpha and the omega, the truth and the life. He is the way. And that's why Christian is not the oldest name we have for those who love Jesus. Christian is a good name. It means little Christ. And Acts chapter 11 says that we have been called Christians by that name since some people in Antioch came up with that name. It's a good name, Christian. Christian. I'm proud to call myself one. But it is not our first name. No, the oldest name on record for us comes from Acts chapter 9, verse 2, where the upstart band of people who loved Jesus were called the followers of the way. And perhaps you heard it in the scripture from Acts 24 when Paul stood on trial before the governor and said, I confess only this, that I am one of the followers of the way, whom some have called a sect. If you're involved here at Dauphin Way United Methodist for any amount of time, then you know that we are here to make disciples who make a difference. And if you're here for any moment longer than you need to know that, then you will also learn that the word disciples simply means follower. We are here to be and to make new followers of Jesus. So once a year we take some time for every person to to reflect on the year that has gone past and look to all that is ahead and above all we want to ask where are we right now and we want to know Who are we following? Because every single one of us is following somebody. Some of you are following your dreams. And that's nice. That sheep was following his dreams. He dreamed he could fly and he believed it right up until the moment he ended up face down in the ditch. Until that moment, he felt very free. Could be worse. You could follow your dreams and get everything you wanted. Jesus once told a parable about that. He said, the, We're told that these two brothers came to Jesus and asked him if he would help them divide up their inheritance. And Jesus replied to them by saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You finally have what you always wanted. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus says, God came to the man and said, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then what will you get from what you have prepared for yourself? If the sheep had made it over the ditch, there's no telling how lost he might have gotten. He might have just kept running, following his dream. Others of you are not following your own dream. You're following a dream or a vision that isn't even yours. It was sold to you by a matte finish catalog or a 12-second TikTok dance tutorial or maybe a cable news pundit. The dream you're chasing after is a dream of yourself with the right kind of body or house or partner. You're following someone else, who, someone who smiles a little bit more than you do, someone who's just a little bit wittier than you are. Someone who takes charge a little more comprehensively than you do. Maybe it's an influencer. Maybe it's a pundit. Maybe it's a great hero of history. Maybe they had 15 minutes of fame or 15 generations. It doesn't really matter. If you keep comparing yourself to someone else, you'll soon find yourself walking in step with them. That is why we refer to social media as a place full of followers. Every one of us is following somebody. And some of you today, I'd be willing to bet the majority of us are not so self-centered that we are simply following ourselves, nor are we so entranced that we are following far-off heroes. Now, my deepest sympathies are with many of us here who are following our neighbors, because a neighbor is a wonderful antidote to the temptations we have towards selfishness or celebrity worship. Neighbors are a good and holy thing. Most of the time, I don't really care what I'm doing or where I'm going. What I care about most is who will be there with me. The people make all the difference. But a dangerous thing happens when I stop walking alongside the flock and I start to follow the flock instead of the shepherd. I begin to worry that I'll be left behind. Maybe they'll resent you if you're not in lockstep. Maybe they won't notice if you pause long enough to invite someone else to join in. Maybe by the time you bring that someone new, your friends will have moved on. And that moment, that moment when you find yourself thinking, I know this is right, but how will I explain it to my parents, my friends, whomever? That moment is your clue as to who you are following. Everyone is following someone. Sometimes we're following several different someones, and so it's no wonder that sometimes we feel as though we are pulled in 17 different directions. The strain is so much that we feel as though we are going to be pulled apart. And if that's you this morning, the invitation from Jesus right now is the same as it ever has been. Your Savior has never left you. He left 99 other sheep on the path To find you in the ditch, in the valley, in whatever place your mind has wandered. And no matter where you've gone, the way forward is simple. As simple as stopping and hearing a shepherd say, follow me. That's what faith is. It's an act of following. Faith is trusting God enough to take the next step. And then the next one. And then the next for many years at dolphin way we've said that our basic steps are prayer and presence and gifts and service and witness these are the things that we entrust to god when we join the church these are the ways that we promise to walk together but today i'd like to take these vows that many of you are very familiar with and i'd like to connect these vows of prayers and presence gifts and service and witness to an even older image of what it means to follow the way. Around the year A.D. 320, which is, say, some 60 years before the church had even officially declared which books of the Bible were trustworthy and authentic, in A.D. 320, the Christians of Al-Asnam, Algeria, laid down a labyrinth in the floor of their church, and they began to use it to teach converts about the Christian life. The labyrinth there in Algeria, the oldest known one in the world, is a slightly different shape than the one that's inlaid in the floor of our Moore Hall, but its meaning is the same. It's a visible reminder that when we walk with Jesus, our life will take many turns, and it will sometimes bring us right up next to the heart of God, and then there will be other times when we feel far from God, even though we are moving forward on the path. And the twists and turns are not unlike the steps by which we learn to trust God. We step uncertainly into a new group, wondering if we will find welcome. And just about the time we get comfortable with that, God invites us to lead a group. And now we have to trust that someone is going to show up. And whether or not anyone does, we have to trust that God delights in our company because we were faithful. I expect that many of us have had that experience this year. That moment of stepping out in unexpected faith and trust. There have been times when the more we called on Jesus, the further away he felt. Maybe you've learned that you had come to rely on some things in your spiritual life that were not Jesus. They were good things. Holy things even but you didn't realize you had mistaken them for Jesus until you couldn't rely on them in quite the same way. Maybe it was a holy habit that God disrupted. Maybe it was a fruitful, faithful friendship that's been harder to maintain this year. Maybe it was simply the presence of the body of Christ. Maybe you were accustomed to meeting Jesus through acts of service that had to be put on hold. Maybe some of the emotions that you identified with Jesus have been harder to access from behind a mask. And you told yourself, well, Jesus is not farther away, but it was sometimes hard to believe that, wasn't it? Hard to believe without the things that we have relied on. Those things that were almost the same thing as Jesus. They were gifts from Jesus, but they were not Jesus himself. The emotions, the presence, the habits, the places, they were gifts from Jesus, but they were not Jesus himself. And it turns out God is still saving us. Saving us when we are down in the ditch and when we are leaping. And when we're crashing back down to start it all over again, Jesus is the way, saving us from our best attempts to put our faith on autopilot, saving us from the kind of faith that is just running out the clock with our best days behind us, waiting for something to bring it all to an end. God is saving us the same way he always has, by inviting us to trust him again to trust him with things we never thought that we could, inviting us to take a new step in faith so that he can lead us to a place we've never been. Thomas said, how can we get there? We don't even know where it is. And Jesus said, I am the way. Follow me. In the months ahead, I believe God is going to do even more glorious things. And Christ will bring new brothers and sisters into the family of God and the Holy Spirit will bear fruit and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and holy discipline. And if we are on the way, then we are going to know salvation every time we see it. Because it turns out that salvation was not a moment, it was a person. And it is a person. The one who is with us now. Turns out we can say that sheep is saved and was saved and will be saved because it was still in the company of the shepherd. And so, as we remember what it means to be disciples, the question that really matters for us has nothing to do with when and everything to do with whom. Who have you been following? Who will you follow? Before we answer any other questions, we must answer this one. And today the first step is simply to remember Jesus is the way. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.